You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio and David's Pick. And we've got a very special guest on. A poor man couldn't decide whether he wanted to be military or lawyer. And so he's lawyer and his name is Kerry King. And he's also a Vietnam veteran and we're very pleased to have him on. But as we always do, we're going to start the show out this morning with uh, a moment of silence and uh, remind everybody that uh, I'm looking at a flag and how important the flag is for coming up uh, the 4th of July, Independence Day, and how important that is and, and the thinking of all the men and women that have sacrificed and given the ultimate sacrifice so our flag can be flown and free. And we're free because of those that have raised their right hand and joined the military, and we have the best military in the world. And uh, we always start this show with a moment of silence. We'll be back in one minute. And we thank you again for joining us. The other thing that we do is that we always like to start the show with something that, um, you know, it was uh, one of those things that always helped me get through. And uh, I'm sure probably did the same thing for you under given circumstances. Um, And uh, we enjoy it. And so with that being said, we're going to play one of our jody's just to get you started up and going and uh, make sure all the things are working right pumping right and here we go Okay, well, I hope everybody does feel good, and we can do it. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of – that's very important that we keep positive that we can do it. And we've got the flag, the men, and the women that will do it. And with that being said, Lieutenant Colonel retired. Good morning, Kerry. Thank you for having me, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, uh, you've got 
quite a resume and uh if i ever got started on it it would take we'd have to extend the uh show to two hours i think but uh, uh you you know yourself better than anybody else so you want to give us just a uh a uh let's see a cliff note uh version of, of your resume um well i grew up in atlanta um my wife and I both grew up in Atlanta, actually. Um, my father was in um, food sales, and my mother was worked at the Veterans Administration, actually, as a secretary. Um, I went to um, several grammar schools, uh, the last one being Samuel Inman, which is now middle school, graduated from Grady High School. Um, thought I might want a career in engineering and found out I wasn't smart enough for a career in engineering. Um, because you have to take things like calculus and physics. So um, I transferred over to Georgia State University. Was, at that time, it was Georgia State College. And um, graduated from there in 63. Started Emory Law School right after and was there for about a month. And, and frankly, I was sick of school. And, and um, I had already been received a, a commission as a second lieutenant through the ROTC program at Georgia State and actually had been involved in ROTC uh, back when I was in at Grady High School um, in what they called at that time junior ROTC, which, by the way, still... They still call it that. And um, it's a great program. It really is. And I, I just... There were things about it I just connected with. So um, I graduated with a B.A. degree in industrial uh, psychology, um, a field I've never practiced in. It just happened to be what my degree was in. Um, And I went on active duty in, um, I believe it was late August, early September 1963. So that's kind of an intro into my Army career. I did the law school I did return to the law school after um, eight years, almost seven and a half years on active duty with the Army and a a long extended tour in Vietnam. And um, years later, I was actually 39 years old when I finished law school and opened to practice at 40. So I've now been in practice 40 years. I turned 80 just a couple of weeks ago. So um, still around and still kicking. And... um, so that's kind of how I got to where I am, and that's why um, all these things um, and the, uh, as you described, it, <laughs> occurred over the years. So it's been a number of years. And I believe your your son is an attorney as well. He is. Um, he came in with me um, over twenty years ago. He graduated from Georgia Law School. He went to now those of you that are Georgia fans that are listening. He went to Florida undergraduate. And then he went to Georgia Law School, and so I posed to him while he was still in law school, what are you going to do at the Georgia-Florida game? (laughs) And he said, I'm going to wear a Georgia sweatshirt and a Florida cap, and I'm going to sit in between the two sections. And so that's what he does. Wow. (laughs) I hope he's a big fella. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you this. He's he's only about 5'7", but he... He thinks he's about six four, and so does the opposing counsel. Think he's about six four. He's, <laughs> oh, that's a, he's good. one hell of a, a good litigator and a and tough guy with a um, with a real real strong uh, part of him that 
uh, makes him a very brilliant litigator. I'm happy to say. Obviously, I'm proud of him. I can't blame you. That's great. Great story. Um, so you spent time in Vietnam, and uh, as you said, you've listened to some of our previous shows. So you you went one way, and then you wound up um, with the same MOS that I had, 11 Bravo. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I guess it's like we all learn if we've gone through basic and AIT and so forth that um, – we don't tell the military a whole lot about what we think we should do. They tell us what we're going to do. And That's pretty I, much it. Kind of, <laughs> kind of the same way my wife kind of does the same thing. Well, she probably outranks you. <laughs> she outranks me by a great deal. <laughs> um, yeah, I, if I uh, can sort of fill in some blanks there, when I uh, graduated and was commissioned as uh, second lieutenant, my first duty assignment was uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma, in the artillery school. And um, that school took, uh, the best I can remember, this was in 63, so I'm, uh, the exact dates I don't remember, but it was about a three-month course. Um, they called it Field Artillery Officers Basic. And uh, I completed that course and was on my way to Fort Benning to go to jump school. Um, did, in fact, go for a while and then um, and then uh, ended up not completing jump school because of physical injury and then um, I got orders to go to Germany and serve with an 8 inch self propelled um, artillery unit um, and in that I was there for about two and a half years in, in Germany which was a one, really enjoyable tour I loved it we were in the field all the time uh, but I loved the artillery and uh, went everywhere from a forward observer position to ultimately by the time I left, I was on the captain's list and um, commanded a battery. Um, I volunteered for Vietnam, which started to heat up in 65. I volunteered in early 66, uh, got orders for Vietnam, uh, Sometime that year, I, I'm thinking it was about May, possibly, and told to pack up. My by then I was married and I had uh, a child on the way. Um, when I got to New York from uh, Germany, the mil- only the military understands this, and people that've been in the military understand this. I had volunteered for Vietnam, and when I got to New York, I. My orders had been changed, and I was diverted to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure that there were any Viet Cong in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, uh, but they sent me there because I was one of the few combat arms officers that, um, I guess, at that point um, was available to fill some slots they had at Fort Leonard Wood. You know, the first time... I, I went to Leonard Wood uh, on business, as a matter of fact, and that was the first time when I when I hit their fir- front gate, and yeah. it, and it was all um, there. It was there were no MPs. It was all contract labor, and I I didn't realize how much things had changed since I'd been in. But yeah. uh, you know, I don't well, know I if it changed back. back. There, but it doesn't surprise me. I'm not many people want to come into Fort Leonard Wood or go to Fort Leonard Wood. 
So uh, it's, it's one a really of those self-contained city, though. Yeah, it's got it, everything there, home base. It's one of those places that you can't get there from here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think the most exciting thing uh, near Fort Leonard Wood is Rolla, Missouri. That that'll tell you everything. You need. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Missouri School of Mines. So I got there and uh, immediately filed again. I volunteered for Vietnam uh, because I was a career officer. That was my intent. And um, I knew the war was heating up, and I felt like I should be there. I, um, so I volunteered again, and the um, the commander that I was working for, a colonel, called me in and said, Captain, you know, it doesn't look good that you've been here a week and you're already volunteering to leave. <laughs> I said, sir, it's no, nothing personal. There's a war going on, and, and I feel like I need to contribute. And um, he said, well, you, you will, but... Not now," he said. "I'm denying your request to um, to transfer, but I will forward it on with my denial, and it'll go up the chain." So I was there for close to a year, uh, and I was one of the few combat arms officers there. So um, I ended up running the rifle range, commanding a special troops company, which was all headquarters people with about 600 people in it. Um, ended up um, also running an infiltration course there and teaching um, both artillery and infantry tactics to what were basically engineer students in, in advanced individual training in AIT. Um, my daughter was born in April 67, and within weeks of that, uh, I got my orders for Vietnam. Gee. And I was to report, just tell me if I'm talking too much. No, no. Uh, interrupt me feel free um but i otherwise i'll just sort of give you the chronology here so um in the summer of 67 i got orders to report to the first infantry division i was sent to um oakland army terminal um when i got there i was advised i just missed my plane <laughs> it had just gone um so they put me up in a hotel in san francisco for a couple of days, and then um, I got notification to get there and come on down to the airport. And we flew in Flying Tiger Airlines, which for all appearances looked like a, a regular old commercial airline. It was. Um, but I later heard that it was um, it was owned by the CIA. I don't know that to be true, but that's what I heard. Hmm. Um, we took the northern route to Vietnam. We stopped, uh, as I recall now, and this has been a long time ago, so this is 1967. We stopped in Seattle, and then we stopped in Okinawa, and we refueled on both occasions. Um, it took about, give or take, about 21 or 22 hours to get to Vietnam. Um, huh. And I, I started to... Um, you know, you, you have something in your head. You have a thought in your head of this is what I need to do, and this is the right thing. As you start towards that goal, you I think, at least for me, and I can only speak for myself personally, I started thinking, you know, I just had a daughter. She was just a matter of a few weeks old. Am I sure I know what I'm doing here? Um, and I, I think I'm probably not the only one that's had that thought. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, be careful what you ask for. Mm -hmm. um, and we were to land at Tonsonut, 
which was in Saigon. It was the major military and civilian airport in South Vietnam. Uh, and we were coming in. It was nighttime, about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And as we started our descent into Saigon, uh, the pilot got on the speaker and said, we're going to have to divert to Benoit because Tonsonut is being mortared. Um, so that caught my attention immediately. Uh, we landed at Benoit. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And... Um, that was when they opened the door of the aircraft. I was the ranking officer. I was a captain at that point. On this particular flight, I was the ranking officer. So um, the flight attendant said, sir, you should get off first here. So I stepped up and they opened the door. And the sensation I remember was like walking into a blast furnace. You get hit with that huge blast of hot air. Um, that only you can only I can only describe it to you but I, if you've ever been to a tropical country and just walked into it that's the first thing you feel it's just like a huge blast of hot air and then all sorts of strange smells hmm. all sorts of strange smells so uh, got down got on a bus that had chicken wire of a sort on the windows so they couldn't throw grenades through the windows uh, got my uniforms and so forth and reported in to the 1st Entry Division uh, 2nd Brigade Base Camp which was at Zeon and that's spelled D-I and the second word is A-N and um, they said report over here to uh, Brigade personnel and I reported in and it turned out that there was a major there that I had been in uh, ROTC at Georgia State with he was a couple years ahead of me, and he remembered me and said he had pulled my file off the pile. He saw I was coming in. Hmm. You and, know, um, we have. I had a, a similar story in uh, AIT of yeah. my uh, platoon sergeant. was uh, He and I graduated from high school together. And, you know, it, it, we always and, – and as many people as I've interviewed – it's amazing how many stories are like that. As big as the army is, right, and the military is, how often we find out it's a small world. It's it's really true, and and it is a it is a small world uh, in the army and the Marine Corps, and Navy, and Air Force. You keep running across the same people, and you develop great camaraderie and great friendships over the years. Um social and and professional and um so the, he and i talked for a few minutes and he said uh look i looked around and he said you know we've got uh, an overage of artillery officers so i'm branch transferring you to infantry and i said whoa, whoa wait a minute here i haven't except for rtc i haven't been in the infantry in quite a while and he said well, that's okay you'll you'll get over it <laughs> Carry on I on said it. Uh, well what's my duty assignment he said well for the moment I'm going to put you at 2nd Brigade headquarters which is a couple miles down the road they need an assistant S2 uh, an assistant intel officer for the brigade and um, and they need somebody to fly missions at night and I was an aerial observer I was a school trained aerial observer mm-hmm so uh, I had the qualifications. That happened when I was in the artillery in Germany. 
I had the qualifications to adjust artillery and, if necessary, airstrikes over targets at night. So that was kind of their plan for me. Hmm. I, I, I need so to I stop, to, I need I to stop you for a second. I to say, sir, look, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be some infantry guys through in a couple of days. I, I mean, I think you'd be better off with the first lieutenant who's been in the infantry all this time. He said, I didn't ask your opinion. <laughs> this is where you're going. And he said, here's your infantry brass. Get rid of your artillery brass. And he handed me a bunch of sew-on uh, infantry cross rifles. And uh, and he said, you'll report to the brigade commander, and um, he'll he'll give you your duty assignments. You'll probably be working for the S-2. Kerry, uh, so, I need to stop you here and, and take a... Uh, you know, got my hooch packed yeah. in and all. I've got my stuff moved in. Carrie, and, uh, I need to I need to stop you for a moment and yes uh, too. Carrie and brigade commander was out on some kind of an operation. He came back. I met him that night. Talked at the club, and he said, "There's a possibility I may not be able to keep you for long because um, we've got a heavy contact going on up the road, and I might have to send you up there. Um, one of the company commanders got wounded." And now I'm thinking, I just went from being an artillery battery commander to possibly being an infantry company commander, and I haven't really been involved in infantry tactics for quite a while. Kerry, I thought to myself, <laughs> I didn't verbalize it, but I said it Carrie, to myself. Carrie, <laughs> I don't so, know if... Carrie, um, I'm going to have to stop you a second and take a break. Yeah, sure. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Were you not able to hear me? As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors Kay. Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps America. Okay, well, I, I tried getting your attention to take a break a couple, several times. and uh, Recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal okay. factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, oh, okay. is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand okay. the needs. No problem. We'll take. Uh, I ask that's all right. We'll take another so break at. Uh, our website, Warriors. About twenty of, or and find out how after you that. can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. And we're back on America's Web Radio, and we have uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Kerry King on. He's also an attorney, and uh, he's been giving us a rundown of his uh, military career, and um, we will go on with uh, some of that, and then how he came back and uh, went to law school and became a uh, became an attorney. And uh, you know what they say about attorneys, Kerry? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, I do know what they say about attorneys. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, did you ever think about uh, going JAG while you were when you came back um, and you were in the Guard? After I became an attorney when I was in the Guard, um, it was discussed with uh, who at that time was a state JAG officer. And I just, I love the 
I love the field units, so I didn't want to change to Jag. I mean, that was my way of getting away from the practice law was the guard. Hmm. So. Well, I, I was in the guard, and then uh, when I moved over here, I went uh, into an AR unit, and uh, that's where I finished up my little tour of six years. But uh, yeah. it's all interesting, and, and uh, uh, like you said, you, you were told that you were becoming an infantry officer, and uh, right. that's the... That's the nasty end of the army, I think. That's where you go out and you find out what the mud is like. Yeah, I, I got uh, I got to that real quickly. I, the artillery lives a little better, but not much better. But so I'd been there a couple of months uh, in the S two office, and there was a huge battle in the north area of our area of operations. As I said, I was with the first infantry division. And a company commander was killed uh, in an area called Loch Ninn. And they were locked in a heavy battle. Um, This was late October, early November 1967. So I was sent up there uh, to initially just to get intel and to be available to help uh, whatever needed um, by having an extra uh, officer up there and in this case, an extra infantry officer up there. And so I sort of stepped in and, and on a temporary basis, uh, helped out with that company until they got a, um, until they got a regular um, full-time infantry officer in there. And then I returned back to 2nd Brigade. But I was there for about six weeks. And um, the battle at Loch Ninn, which has become a very sort of famous battle for the 1st Infantry Division. It was right at the entry point uh, into South Vietnam off the, off the Ho Chi Minh Trail in our area. And it was a six-day battle, huge casualties on both sides, uh, and and pretty much nighttime fighting, but some in, some in the middle of the day as well. So that was really my big introduction to being an infantryman in combat. You know, uh, that, that sort of... Um gives me a segue into one thing that i normally do well two things actually that you've mentioned one you were deployed shortly after your daughter was born and uh we always salute the spouses that are left behind and yet in many ways they're not left behind they're deployed in their own way and we certainly respect your wife and and her taking care of your newborn baby and uh you know, the, the family deploys along with the person that actually goes in country. The other thing is that we salute and have the highest esteem for, and I'm sure with what you're talking about, you got to see some of them, and that's the uh, dust-off pilots that uh, oh, did just incredible things. They, you know, I, I, I've never figured out a dust-off pilot. They, will, they would go anywhere to uh, try to save one of their brothers or sisters' lives and get them back to uh, a triage center. So we... Uh, we they are super, super troops, and um, I've never met one that wouldn't risk his aircraft and his life to come in and take a wounded man out and get him, get him medical treatment. So um, I have the greatest respect for them. I, I've often said 
the best two sounds in the world and the worst two sounds <laughs> in the world are the same. It's a rotor, Huey rotor blade <laughs> coming in and going out. Um, you know, when they, they take you in on aerosol, mm-hmm. uh, which I did a number of uh, both in the entry and in the artillery later. Um, but if you get wounded, those are the best sounds in the world as rotor blades. Absolutely. You know, and, and then it was interesting, too, when they turned them into gunships. Yeah. And uh, I understand from friends that, uh, you know, the Vietnamese, just like you said, it was the worst sound in the world for them when they turned them into gunships. Yeah. they uh, And they had two or three different levels of gunships. They had, depending on what ordinance they were carrying. Some of them were uh, carried really some devastating stuff, and and some carried lighter, lighter ordnance. But whatever it was, uh, having been on the ground with the entry and having been on the ground with the artillery, I can tell you, um, you love those guys. <laughs> you thank you thankful they're there every minute. They uh, they're incredible uh, men, and also the uh, a lot of a lot of folks don't realize or don't know that. Uh, so many uh, women served, and many of those women, in, including, um, uh, oh, uh, what's her name, Ray, that uh, used to do, uh, uh, oh, what, I can't think of her name, I've gone blank, uh, Ray, but she was with a lot of Bob Hope tours, but she was also a uh, nurse in Vietnam. Oh, Martha, Martha Ray. Ray. Yeah. And uh, she was a nurse, and, and she would jump on some of the dust-offs and uh, go out in the field with them and uh, do her thing. And, you know, and so many nurses were, they they had the intestinal fortitude that, that the dust-off pilots had, and uh, they were incredible as well. So... We, uh, uh, and, and, you know, certainly uh, dust-off pilots are uh, were incredible people, as were the crews on there. Uh, they would come in at great risk to themselves to make sure they got you medical attention quickly. But all the aviators over there uh, were amazingly brave and amazingly courageous. And, uh, I have had people transported on other types of aircraft that weren't dust-offs that might have been even gunships to get a wounded man out and get him treated right away uh, they'd come in sometimes when they were ordered not to um, because ultimately uh, in when you're in combat it's all about your people you know it's that, that's your primary focus well, protecting the uh, people the uh, other thing so, that... Um, so, well, I did that, and then uh, in late December, I got back to the... Or maybe it was earlier than that. Late November, I think. Um, the S-2 of 2nd Brigade, a, a major named Robert Gross, a West Pointer who was... When I'd been at the S-2 shop, he was my boss. Um, he was in a, a bad helicopter accident. He later died from his wounds from that. So... I was pulled back in and put in the S-2 position at 2nd Brigade. And um, right after that, right after the 1st of January is when, in late January, is when the 1968 Tet Offensive started. And um, I was the 2nd Brigade S-2 at that time. And uh, we had all kinds of stuff. 
stuff going on in Saigon and Bin Laden, Long Bin, um, and we started pulling troops out of the jungle areas and bringing them down into major cities, as everybody, of course, knows what happened during the Tet Offensive now. Um, so uh, I did that until April and uh, got hit once in March. Um, I was in a joint operation with the 2nd of the 18th Infantry. Uh, I got hit once and uh, not seriously. And then in June of 68, um, I had been given an artillery battery, a 105 artillery battery at my request. I said, guys, you know, my basic MOS is artillery. Can I get back to it? I've made my spurs as an infantryman. I'd like to have some time with the artillery. So I took over this 105 battery, and guess what? I ended up right back with the infantry again. <laughs> so, um, and that's what I did till I till I came home. Uh, was wounded in June '68 and lost three men one night. Um, and that was probably the worst action. It was post Tet offensive, and it was a counteroffensive um, that we had begun, and it was difficult put it mildly. Uh, you know, this is, this, and, and again, I say this a lot, but, you know, with the way things are going today, I hope that you've had the opportunity to talk to your grandkids and talk to your kids, in fact, about what you did and that you are our history books today. Uh, what they serve up is history books aren't history books and the tales that you've got the stories that you've gotten oh i forgot there's one i told you i wouldn't ask you any hardball questions but there is one that i always ask and i haven't asked you this so get ready get prepared for a hardball question coming towards you i've been a lawyer for 40 years i think i can handle it yeah okay all right well we'll we'll see we'll see can you name one veteran that you know or veterans that you've been around that can tell one story only um no (laughs) (laughs) see all that all that training didn't help you a bit did it no it didn't i um it's just war is a um I, I, i tell this to people all the time but war is i saw some of the best of humanity some of the most incredible things done um involving sacrifices by people of everything from their whole life to um to arms legs burns uh blindness whatever uh and then you see in war you see some of the worst things that human beings can do to each other um so it's hard to crystallize it into one thing. And there may be one story that sticks with you like everybody, but um, no, you can't you can't put it into a short. I'm not even sure I have the ability to articulate what it's really like. I don't know that anybody does I've ever met. No, and I, I try, think, but it's just hard. I think uh, I think it's a situation and this is where 
a lot of veterans, even the veterans now coming back from uh, Desert Storm and Desert Shield and the the months in the Middle East, sure. uh, that the best therapy is being able to talk to someone else that's been there, done that, and relating to them. And and it's this is uh, something that we always push too that. If you're in high school or graduating from college or whatever and you haven't decided what you want to do, by all means, take a look at the at the military. There's a branch that has something for you that you will love and uh, you make, make it a career. But the military has become very competitive with, with civilian jobs and uh, it's the greatest organization in the world. And, um, you know, you, you meet people that are the greatest. You, it's the biggest fraternity and sorority in the world. And uh, just like Carrie was saying, you, you'll you come across people that, you know, uh, that you haven't seen since high school or since college or whatever. And um, it's amazing that you'll cross paths again in the military in a in a worldwide organization that's so big. But uh, I have a son that's a major in the Air Force, and uh, uh, you mentioned Germany. He, he and his wife, or he, he was stationed there for uh, three years. He's had some tough duty. He uh, His first assi- assignment was in Hawaii. Then he was uh, transferred to Korea, and then he wound up three years in uh, Germany, and now he's back in the states. So, uh, but he loves that's the kind of the Air life of a, of a service member. Um, I, you know, it cost me my first marriage. I mean, we kept moving around. I had a second child, um, and um, I think she just got tired of moving and uh, got tired of the life of that's so difficult. Uh, but she was a great Army wife. She was. Um, I don't fault her in the in the least i was i didn't come home a real happy camper um i not unhappy about the army just i'd learned things i never thought i was gonna have to learn and um i guess i probably was not the not the happiest of people to live with so uh but all that's a long time ago she and i are great friends share children and grandchildren and that's good. Uh, I remarried. It's been 37 years ago now. Um, but I, the military is, without any question, has shaped everything in my life. And, uh, and Vietnam shaped certain things um, that are never going to change and certain things that make me open to continuing to change was something like this. So um, it's... It's difficult to talk about it with somebody who hadn't been there, uh, either in the military or in a combat situation. But it uh, it's good. It changed so much about my life uh, to the good. Well, you know, I'll have, and I, and I would imagine that anybody that's gone through basic and AIT or whatever the case might be, I have, even at my age, and it's been 50 years since I was in, in uh AIT, and you know, I'll have flashbacks now, and not not serious. I'm, I'm I kid about them, but you know, yeah. it, it, when you're going through some of that stuff and that 
DIs yelling at you or doing this or doing that. And you're saying, why in the hell are we doing this? It's crazy, you know? And and now, every now and then, I'll have a flashback of doing something like that and say, now I know why they did it, you know? And, um, I, you yeah, know, by the way, I totally agree with you that it's, a, it's good for these young people if they really aren't goal-directed or whatever. They don't know what they want to do. A couple of years of government service uh, in the military or in the Peace Corps, wherever they want. A couple of years of service that's not about all about yourself, that's about uh, helping other people, would be an incredible way for them to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, I've, the older I get, the uh, wiser the military becomes, you know. They, yeah. Yeah, they've been practicing it for 240 years. And uh, I, I think they're finally getting it down pretty close to. Uh, I wouldn't. I would never say perfect, but they do know what they're doing, and they they're reaching out to the veterans now more and more that uh, you know have problems. And there are a lot of great organizations. Uh, Warriors to Citizens is one of them that uh, we support that uh, helps the veterans that come back and. And it's veterans talking to veterans, basically, and helping them get readjusted to a civilian life, which there is a, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it starts with your haircut, I mean. and then it goes to uh, you will wear this every day, and you don't have to make a whole lot of decisions about your your wardrobe, you, you know. Yeah. So. It, it, in some ways, it simplifies life, and in other ways, it teaches you there, there are things more important than you. That mm-hmm. There are things outside of you. The one thing I want, not the one thing, but one of the things I learned in the military is that um, it is the people around you. And that in my case, the people I commanded and the people I worked with and the people I worked for, they are the people you're there to protect and they're there to protect you. And that feeling never leaves you for the rest of your life. Um I had a reunion two weeks ago with uh, three other officers, uh, all of whom retired. Uh, one became an FBI agent. Uh, one became a, a one-star general. My best friend became a two-star general in the Marine Corps. Um, the other one was a president of a very large bank and retired at a young age. We still we were together two weeks ago, and it was like it it had only been a week or two since we'd seen each other. Wow. That's great. It's it's a bond that will never break. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's a great great story. And this is what this is what kids need today, and they need to know that there's uh, something out there. By the way, I want to mention the fact that uh, we work very closely with a, a friend of yours, uh, Colonel Rick White, retired. He's the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you know somebody that you'd like to um, present to uh, Rick, they're always looking for uh, new faces and new people to honor from Georgia that were their veterans that uh, served their country. And uh, Rick just does a fantastic job. And this Fourth of July, I don't, I should have checked with Rick. I don't know if they're open or not, but. Uh, well, they wouldn't be open because it's a Sunday, so they wouldn't be open anyway. But um, you can't if you don't can't go there, then you can always come out to Johns Creek or Peachtree Corners. Johns Creek has the uh, healing wall 
that uh, is a replica of well it's it's the wall that was went all over the United States it's a replica of the Vietnam wall in Washington DC the traveling wall well, traveling wall, the healing wall is yeah. what they're calling uh-huh. it now, So, uh, yeah. or the wall that heals. But anyway, yeah. uh, Johns Creek and Newtown Park, and uh, I don't know what uh, Mike Mazel has planned for the fourth, but I'm sure that uh, whatever it is, it'll be good, or you can just go into uh, Johns Creek to uh, Newtown Park and uh, just look at the wall and... Uh, Soon they will have a kiosk where they can, where you'll be able to look up names and find out exactly where they're located on the wall. So, yeah. but there are George is getting to be known for a state that really honors veterans, and uh, couldn't be well, prouder. Our group, the Atlanta Vietnam Veterans Business Association, that uh, Skip Bell, myself, Rick, um, and Rick, both of those two gentlemen. Skip and Rick are just, as far as I'm concerned, two of the best people I've ever met. Uh, they are they are my heroes. Uh, these are guys that, that were willing to just lay it down. Skip had two tours in Vietnam, started off as, as a cavalryman and, and ended up going to flight school and becoming a helicopter pilot. I mean, uh, Rick has got every just about every award you can get and has uh, commanded troops in combat. And as uh, both of those guys are studs, as far as I'm concerned, and um, uh, you know, I'm familiar with Rick's work with the uh, Georgia Veterans Hall of Fame, and uh, he's done a spectacular job with that. I've also visited that wall in Johns Creek mm-hmm. and the Veterans Park up there, which is probably the best Veterans Park, um, certainly the best in in the Southeast, uh, and maybe the best in the country for a local. Um, operation. It's a beautiful park. Yes, sir. And you know, I, I got to go back to Rick White for a second. And that, yeah, the most outstanding. And Rick, like you can't say enough nice things about Rick. But the sure. thing that stands out the most in my my mind is his son has followed in his father's footsteps, and um, yeah. he he's a he's a wonderful officer. Uh, I think he's on his second or third tour in uh, the Middle East, and uh, you know he's he's just and to follow in your father's footsteps couldn't be a bigger compliment. And I know Rick um, appreciates that and and um, honors his son for that. I mean, um, it's it is the it's the best compliment in the world that your son wants to do what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, my son, that's, I, I'm hoping that that's the reason my son wanted to be a lawyer, um, because uh, I went back to law school when I was in my mid-30s. I came home from Vietnam. I was 27, 28. Couldn't figure out what I wanted to do and did a couple of different things for a while, worked with my father for a little bit uh, in the food business. But then I decided I wanted to finish law school. And, uh, like I said, I've been practicing 40 years. Um, I And I'll tell you something. I do... Um, as I sort of mentioned in the in the resume I sent you, um, I dedicate I've dedicated myself to a portion of my time being to help veterans as a lawyer. Um, I have I was one of three people that set up the VA pro bono clinic at the VA Medical Center in Decatur. 
1998. It's been going 23 years now. We've put in over 15,000 legal hours in in uh, behalf of veterans. Um, I sit on the state bar military legal assistance program board. Was a past chairman of the military veterans law section. I, I think you don't. The way I love the military and the way I love the army, I felt like. The fact that I was no longer in the Army, retired from the Army, that should not stop me from finding a way to help veterans. Um, so we're always looking for ways to help veterans, and we can hook up people with uh, all sorts of resources. Some are low-fee, reduced-fee. Some are actually free. It just depends on what they are. So um, I just wanted to, that's, that's my little commercial for veterans who need legal help. Please don't all of them call me. But if you'll send if you'll send emails, we will try to farm you out to appropriate organizations that can help you. Well, you know, Carrie, the uh, you, you've wrapped up, and I, I certainly don't don't have the career that you have. But uh, I always wanted to do something for veterans, and that's exactly what we're doing with this show and uh, other shows that we put on here that. Uh, uh, we get a lot of uh, folks that listen and appreciate, and you know they relate to the stories that you told today. They relate to a lot of other veterans that we've had on, and the stories that they've had. And um, we we do appreciate. It. And by the way, if you're anywhere at the airport, bus station, wherever you might be, and you see a guy that's wearing, I served on the USS or whatever, or, or has uh-huh. military anywhere about him, and or is in uniform, and that can go for EMTs as well, and our first responders. And, you know, one, thank them for their service, and two, if you can, buy them a dinner or lunch or a cup of coffee or drink or whatever, and just tell them how much you appreciate their service. And that can be in the military, it can be for first responders. And one thing I keep bringing up on the show often is the fact that we're a country of first responders. And be it... That's true. Be it uh, on a city basis, local basis, or international basis... Who is the first one there after some kind of disaster? The United States. That's and, right. you know, anybody that will take a knee or turn their back on our flag and our national anthem, I'd like for them just to leave. Get the hell out of my country. And, well, uh, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm not political. I'll stay away from politics, but everybody has a right. I, I tell people as a lawyer... I believe in freedom of speech. I don't believe in disrespect to the country or to the flag. Um, I fought for it. I fought for people to have the right to have freedom of speech. Uh, but I think you have to have some consideration and respect for the country country we live in. And, and um, it, we're the only country in the world where you could even do things like that. And we have to. We don't want to throw out the baby with the washwater. Well, I agree to that, but um, this also goes... You know, I respect everybody's right to take whatever position they want to. I think what's important is for us to to always remember what it means to be an American. Part of being an American is to give back uh, rather than always taking. mm -hmm. Giving back is what 
what we should be about. I, I'm going to tell you, counting the National Guard in my seven and a half years of, of uh, active service, um, I I don't think more than one or two times in my whole career did I run into somebody that was would run over their brother comrades for their own self-interest. No. It just it just didn't happen. No. Um, it's 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 just a miraculous thing what happens to people when they become part of something bigger than themselves, like the Army. I have to thank the Army, I'm sure. My Navy and Marine Corps and Air Force friends and Coast Guard friends, they may think otherwise, but for me, that was the Army. Well, you know, just what you said, and I'll take it a little bit further, and, and I'm making this announcement now as well as I'm putting it out on my social media. Fox News ran a story the other day, and this explains a lot of things about Google and about YouTube and how they're running a censored organization. They've cut us off a couple of times because of, but most people don't know or haven't heard yet, but they're going to hear that Google, that owns YouTube, has been supporting the Wuhan laboratories for years. Why in the world would a operation like Google want to support something like Wuhan making viruses? Doesn't make any sense. I have no idea. But um, I didn't want to, and that doesn't mean doesn't you're mean, political, but like I, I said, I'm not political. No. But I, uh, my, my belief is that... Um, Whatever you do should be to support this country and support each other, um, period. By the way, anybody I'm that right. wants to can check that information out on DuckDuckGo. Uh, I don't know if Google has it on there, but DuckDuckGo does. And they and Fox News was the first to break the story on the fact that uh, Google... Listen, I want to, um, if I could, and I know we're kind of running out of time here, uh, David, so if you will forgive me... Um, there are resources through the State Bar of Georgia's Military Legal Assistance Program. Uh, people can call um, and seek assistance. Um, and if I could provide you those numbers, and maybe you could, on one of your shows, you could put those numbers up uh, that can provide legal assistance to veterans. Uh, the Emory Law School also has a clinic where they will help people who have been denied VA claims, uh, or may need a will, uh, or or maybe uh, just getting some questions answered about a, a parent or a relative that uh, they've lost uh, benefit questions. Um, Georgia Law School has a legal clinic that provides free services to do the same types of things. So, I, all I all I want to say is that there's a veteran out there. Um, that is seeking some assistance. There are avenues that that we can uh, provide to you for you to talk to people. They may be successful, they may not, but there's always somebody that's willing to talk to a veteran and uh, leave no soldier behind. That goes that goes for if you're a veteran or a family member of a veteran, you can Correct. always always go to any of the service officers. 
like they all have them, like with the VFW, American Legion, whatever it might be. They have service officers that are trained to help you get the benefits or let you know what benefits are available. And we we're very proud to have uh, Colonel uh, Philip Forsberg on. I don't know if you know Phil or not, but uh, I don't. I'm sorry. Uh, he uh, he is with the DAV Department of uh, uh, Veterans uh, Wounded or Veterans Administration, um, Disabled Veterans Administration. I'm sorry, uh, and but he's also a service officer, and he can be of so much help to anybody, and and all these organizations have them. So there is help. For anyone needing, and it doesn't matter what kind, they can. It, if nothing else, they can always point you in the right direction. Right, correct, correct, and that was the point I was I wanted to make. Um, we, you know, we may not be able to solve every problem, but we can at least clarify and try to get you going in the right direction. Um, and and we want to do that. Um, so I very much appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Thank you very much for that. And um, just I want to just leave one thought with anybody listening um, is that General Moore, who was uh, at the Ashall Valley battle and was in the movie We Were Soldiers and actually wrote um, that, that book, We Were Soldiers, from the poem We Were Soldiers Once Again, he said... Hate war, love the warriors. That that is what I'd like to leave everybody with. That nobody hates war more than the people that have to fight it. But you need to love the warriors because those are the people that are willing to sacrifice so we can all be safe. And sacrifice it is in many, many ways. And uh, that's what we try to bring attention to here with with soldiers like your yourself. Colonel, and I thank you for coming on. And you know, there's one other hardball question that I ask. I forgot that. And oh, you didn't tell me you're going to ask too. Well, I know. Well, it's sort of my secret. But uh, this one, this one's pretty hard too. You couldn't okay. answer the first one. Let's see if your law degree will get you out of this. Uh, okay. Will you come back on and be on another show with us? Of course, anytime. Thank you, sir. It's been it an honor. Pleasure. Thank and you. A, pleasure talking to you and uh, we uh, we do hope that you've enjoyed it and i would guess that you're going to be getting a call from colonel white very shortly so with with that being I, I said i hope so he's one of my favorite people i hope so yeah he will be calling i can guarantee you talk to you soon Kerry. okay david thank you very much and again uh in behalf of all veterans i want to thank you for having this show and for allowing veterans to speak thank you sir take care have a yes. good oh Have a good 4th of July, and everybody should be on both knees honoring our flag and praying for our country. Amen. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.